Oh, man, I'm glad you're here today. Thank you for coming to Northside. Um, really glad to have you, especially if you're visiting with us. A couple of my friends from Paragon are here. And uh, you know when you just haven't seen somebody in a while, you're just, oh. I have a buddy from high school I haven't seen since something a long time ago. I'm not going to tell you how long. Um, so just really glad to see you guys today. Um, yes? Oh, kids, come downstairs. Yeah, you don't want to hear me. There's a lot more fun things. Now, grown-ups, you have to stay here. <laughs> Kids, you guys go downstairs. There's lots of fun stuff for you to do down here. Um, grown-ups, not so fun. You're up here with me. Um, now, Glad you're here today. I want to give you a chance today um, to take a deep breath. Um, Teresa, my friend from Paragon, heard me do this for 10 years. Um, and I do this partly for you guys and just as much for me. Um, if we're not careful, we, we get up, we hear from God. Um, we believe that this part of our service is where God speaks into our life. How can you miss that? You know, like even if you're not sure what you believe about God, how can you how can you just go on like this is another sitcom in the next 30 minutes? You know, you can watch Seinfeld or you can listen to God. That's not the way we do this. So if we're not careful, what happens is this just becomes another 30 minutes, 30 minutes in our life. But if we do this thing that God talks about all the way back thousands and thousands of years ago, he says he tells his people that he speaks in a still small voice. And the reason is not because he can't speak loudly if he wants to. It's because he wants you to quiet all the junk in your life so that you can hear his voice. Isn't that cool? That's the God that we have. You know, if God wanted to, he could have just spoke over everything in your life and made you listen. But he wants you to choose him. So whatever else you chose this week, whatever you chose that brought you here, whatever pain, whatever anxiety, whatever frustration, whatever you got going on right now, you can hang it all up for just a minute. And choose God first. So I need that as much as you do. I already preached once today. And between then and now, I'm already messed up. So I need a deep breath as much as you do. And here's the way we do it. Give you 30 seconds, which is more than some of you have had all week, to be quiet. 30 seconds in a row. It's not very long. But it's long enough to say this to God. God, I'm quieting everything else in my life. I choose you. If you do that today, no matter what you believe, if you're kicking the tires on the God thing, whatever it is that you, you believe, just say, God, I choose you in this next 30 seconds. I'm going to do it too, and then we'll get going on our sermon this morning. Okay? Let's pray together. God, in the quiet, we choose you. Everything is so loud in our lives. The bill collectors, the bosses, the relationship problems, the physical issues seem so loud. We quiet it all right here, right now to hear your voice. God, you know I have no business standing on the stage talking to people about how they live their life. So would you make this more than I am? Would you speak into us something better than we can hear from the world? And we'll all choose you in your son's name. Amen. 
starting a sermon series this week called What You Really Want. The, the most important word there is that word really. And, and here's where I want to go with this over the next few weeks. We're going to do this for three weeks, and I, I would love to lead you through this. If you're visiting with us today um, and you're just trying to find out what, what you feel about Northside, those kinds of things, um, or if you've got plans next weekend, try to change your plans to be here for three weeks in a row. Just three weeks in a row for this thing. Because what I'm going to do today is I'm going to lead you right to the precipice of some things, um, some things to do this week, some things to think this week. But this sermon series is going to build on each other, and you're going to see how it goes from that. You know, um, my son, Reese, just had his birthday party last week. Some of you, I talked to you about that um, last Sunday. Um, he had his birthday party, and my in-laws gave him 50 bucks cash. And for a nine-year-old, that, that makes me nervous. You know, I like to be with him when he's got his 50 bucks. But little did I know, I went to work, and my mom um, took him to the store with his 50 bucks cash, which is just dangerous. You know, he's going to end up with something ridiculous. And as part of what it is, you know. So he, he goes to the store, and he's been wanting a Nerf gun for a long time. And he's got 50 of them. I mean, that's not an exaggeration. And I run over the darts and with my lawnmower every day. You know, there's, he's got stuff everywhere. And I knew he was going to come home with a Nerf gun, and he did. He spent his 50 bucks, 30 bucks on the Nerf gun, and 20 bucks on the little balls that'll get stuck in the tires of my uh, tractor lawnmower. Um, and so he's got 50 bucks worth of the stuff that he wanted so bad. You know? You know that. You remember that feeling. You still have that feeling. Your toys are just more expensive than his now. Just, I want it so bad. It's going to change my life, right? Well, he came home. He loaded it full of these little plastic balls and he shot one. And it, I mean, it flew across the room. But the second one got lodged somewhere in the gun. And just completely quit working. And I did what any good dad does, you know. I tried to take it apart and pretend I know how to fix it. Took the whole thing apart, got the ball out, and couldn't get it back together. I mean, it just parts all over my house. The dog got stuff running around, and I never could get this thing back together. I finally gave it to him, and it was kind of janky and just would not work anymore. And his mom came home. She said, Reese, you got a new gun. Is it awesome? And he goes, no, it's full of air and disappointment. <laughs> I'll never forget him saying that it was full of air and disappointment. Because here's the thing. He's going to spend the rest of his life wanting things that when he gets them are full of air and disappointment. You know. Because you've done it. And what I want to ask you this. Over the next three weeks, I want to explore what you really want. Beyond the pickup truck, beyond the retirement account, beyond the house, out by the lake, what is it in the deepest part of you that you really want? I believe God has the answer. And it's not a new question. This is not a new question. In fact, thousands of years ago, over 2,000 years ago, Jesus was on the earth and he was asking this question to people. What is it you really want? He said things like this, wherever your heart or wherever your treasure is, wherever, whatever you treasure in your life, that's what you really want. Wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart is. We'll talk about that in a minute. But as he talked like this, people started to be drawn to him because in the midst of all of our lives and the craziness and all the things we want, we know that these things don't actually bring us what we're looking for. And this message Jesus had just drew people. And it drew people who were poor. It drew people who didn't look like him, talk like him, believe what he believed. People who never believed in God before followed Jesus because of this kind of a teaching. And at one point, there's a story in Matthew that I want to read you. Matthew chapter 
19, verse 18, Jesus is standing teaching with a whole group of people, and a rich dude comes up. In fact, the Bible calls him the rich young ruler. And and that gives us a little bit of insight that the people that were around Jesus knew who this guy was. You know how this works. In Bloomington right now, I'm not going to name names, but when a certain car comes down the road, you go, oh, that's so-and-so, right? Because you know what their cars look like. And they're usually the rich people, right? And my parents are friends with Tom Crean, and I used to love when we'd go to a restaurant, and he'd walk in, and he'd come over to my table. You know, I'd be like, yeah, look, Tom Crean's at my table, you know? And there's just this thing, everybody knows these people, and you believe, you begin to believe they have everything, right? You begin to look at them and go, wouldn't it be great to not want anything? But Jesus knew better. The thing that we mess up with Jesus every now and then, if you're a Jesus follower, you, you know that the Bible says he was half man or like he was fully man and he was fully God at the same time, which is hard for us to understand. But here's the problem. Christians often go, well, of course Jesus could do that. He's God, right? But here's the, here's the truth about Jesus without getting too deep into theology. What Jesus did, he was fully God and fully human. But when he came to earth, he gave up his God card. He took the God card and he gave it away. He said, I'm not going to use that God card. So when he saw people, he wasn't doing a supernatural mind trick when he saw them and knew what they were thinking. The human side of Jesus cared so deeply about other humans that he knew what was going on in their life. So don't mistake what Jesus is about to do. He knows this, this guy comes to him. He probably pulls up, you know, if it was today, he'd pull up on his Porsche and everybody would go, ooh, look at this guy, you know. And when he pulls up, everybody knows how he is, but he's missing something. And Jesus knows it. His first question to Jesus is, how do I get, in, how do I get life? And he uses this word that means eternal life, but it also means like real life. And the people around him would have gone, he's got more life than anybody here. He's got everything he wants. But there was something missing. So he says, Jesus, how do I get what I'm looking for? How do I get eternal life? And how do I get what I'm looking for on earth? Jesus says, Jesus creates this list because he knows this guy. He knows what this guy wants is a list. He creates a list and he says, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as you do yourself. And everyone would have, Jesus around him would have gone, well, that's a weird list. Like, why did you randomly pick those things to tell this guy? But Jesus knew that this guy thought he was missing rules. He thought there were, if he would obey a couple rules and he took care of these rules, then that's what would give him the kind of life he wanted. And Jesus knew that's not the issue. So he gave him a list of things that the guy was already doing. I mean, and he, Jesus didn't have to look into this guy's life to know he probably didn't commit murder. I mean, the most of the people in this room, don't raise your hand if I'm wrong, but you didn't commit murder yet, you know? Like you can say maybe some bad things about yourself, but that's not one. Uh, adultery is one that doesn't happen that often. And when it does, you, you repent. Don't steal, don't lie, honor your father and mother. These are like the low-hanging fruits. In fact, one time Jesus would say, the most important thing in the world is to love God and love people. Why didn't he say that to this guy? Because he knows that there is a battle going on in this person. A want battle. So here's what Jesus says. So he gives him these list of things, and the guy says, I was afraid you were going to say that. I've done those things, and I'm still missing something. You know, could, Jesus could have just as easily said, go to church every Sunday, sit in a blue pew, smile, sing a whole bunch of worship songs, take communion, bow your head, go like this when the preacher talks and go, mm-hmm, every now and then just to make it really feel good, and then walk out. Jesus could have said, do that, and you would all go, yeah, I do that already, but I'm still missing something, right? So the young man said, I've done all that. What's left? There's something more that I'm missing. Jesus said, if you want to give it all you got, 
more accurately translated into English is something like, if you want the thing you're talking about, the thing you're looking for, the thing you really want, he said, go sell all this stuff. This stuff everybody knows you for, this stuff that you think is what you wanted, that you thought would fill your life, sell all of that stuff. Give it to the poor. All your wealth, all the things that you think you want will then be in heaven. And then Jesus says, then come follow me and see what it's like to do life like this. Now, don't mistake Jesus. He wasn't saying, some Christians have mistaken this, by Jesus saying, first you've got to give up all your stuff, then you can follow Jesus. That's not what he was saying. People follow Jesus who didn't even believe he was God. That's not what he's saying at all. What he's saying is, first, give up the stuff you don't want, that you thought you did want. The stuff that isn't doing for you what you think it is either. And when you get to that point, you'll realize the kind of life that I'm leading is the kind of life you've always wanted. That's a really cool piece of scripture, but it's also one of the saddest stories in the Bible because it says that that was the last thing that this man wanted to hear. The last thing he expected to Jesus to say is to all those things that you've been accumulating your whole life. That's the problem. Crestfallen, which is an English translation for a word that just means absolutely devastated, exploded his life. He walked away because he was holding tight to a lot of things that he couldn't bear to see go. Now, you can come back next week. I'm not going to ask you to sell all your stuff, I promise. It's not what this sermon's about. But this sermon is about some things that you want. And I know you want them because I want them too. I, I want to start with one of them. You want your way, right? You've wanted it since you were a kid. If you were a good parent, you tell your kids you can't always have your way. But then as a parent, you start to believe that the older I get, the more I can have my way, right? You want your way. But here's what you know about your way if you think about it enough. Next slide. You know that as long as you insist on getting your way all the time, you won't get what you really want. I would like to propose that over, over this next three weeks, just hang with me here. That if you insist on getting what you want, getting your way every time, you will miss out on what you really want in life. Another thing you want is whatever you want, you want it now, right? It's the way my son is too, man. He doesn't even want to get in the car and go to the store. He would like to blink and have it there, right? Amazon now. There's a new, new piece of software called Amazon Now coming out. I don't know if you heard about this. It is they, you, you can order something from Amazon, and if you're in the right location in the country, you'll have it by the end of the day. And the only reason it's by the end of the day is because they haven't got the whole drone thing worked out. They'd like to have it in your lap the moment you touch it because that is how we want it. We want it now. But here's the thing about now. What we want now gets in the way often of what we really want later. If you don't believe this, go to your next high school reunion. <laughs> Look around and go, I wanted to go out with her? <laughs> I remember praying, God, please let her go out on a date with me. Thank God for unanswered prayers, right? <laughs> More significantly, some of you know exactly what I mean by this. That the... The regrets in your life, the most significant regrets in your life, they begin with the words, I want. I married my high school sweetheart and shouldn't have. My friends, I remember, I have one of my best friends who I haven't talked to since I married her, said you shouldn't do this. This is all about you. 
This is not about her. My family was really loving and supporting, but every sentence I came back with when they would say, this is not a good idea, is I want. I want to feel like a grown-up. I think I was 22. I want people to respect me as a man. I want physically things. <laughs> I want, I want, I want. If you ask her, it was the same reason she was marrying me. It's this, I want, I want, I want. And now she ended up leaving me in ministry long ago for a man she met on the internet back when it was still dial-up. That <laughs> kind of dial-up, you know? Long time ago. It was long before Tinder. And she left. And I look back now at one of my biggest regrets, and I realized it started with I want. Do you know how much I prayed for that, by the way? You know how many times in my life I've prayed, God, I want. God, I want. And then I get mad because he didn't listen. But what about you as a parent? This is one of the best analogies in all of scriptures when Jesus talks about God as a father because anybody who has kids, anybody who has been a parent knows that a good parent doesn't give kids what they want when they know that there's something better coming that would be in the way of it, right? I mean, we don't ever look at our kids knowing that if we give them this thing they want right now, it will ruin an opportunity for what they really want later. We would be a terrible parent to give them that, no matter how mad they are at us. What if they just came to us every day and they said, please, how about now? How about now? How about now? Please, please, please. That's how our prayers have to sound to God sometimes. How about now? How about now? How about now? Please, please. How about now? How about a red one? How about a black one? I'm not talking about people. I'm talking about trucks. How about this? How about this? How about now, God? How about now, God? How about now, God? And no matter how much you bother him, no matter how much you bug him, no matter how mad you get at him, he cares more about you than he cares about this stupid little thing you want now because it's going to be in the way of what you really want later. What if you could see like God sees? This is why he gave you kids. Right? Because you love them to death and you want what's right and they drive you nuts. And all of that is so you can feel what God feels just a little bit. When you say, I want, I want, I want. And he says, I know. But it's not what you really want. I don't know what you want right now. I'm hoping you're asking yourself right now. What do I want? James chapter 4 verse 1. Guys, you're going to be late for lunch today, wherever you're going. Hope that crock pot's on low. Because i got a little, got a little more to go here. James chapter 4 is where I want to go today. James is the brother of Jesus. If you're new to the book of James, or maybe if you're old to the book of James, this is more important because you may have taken for granted how important this book is in history. James was, a, was the brother of Jesus Christ. He was the actual blood brother of Jesus Christ. Is that crazy to anybody? And here's the thing about James. If, if, you, if you're a person who, who deals with uh, faith problems in your life, which I've been my whole entire life. Some people have the gift of faith. I was gifted with gab. I am not gifted with faith. It's something I've struggled, and I think it's been a really good thing for my preaching because I can relate to you if you're struggling with faith today. James is a guy who did not believe in Jesus. I mean, think about it. What if your brother said he was the son of God? What would it take for you to believe that your brother was the son of God? James didn't believe in Jesus. He thought Jesus was crazy until he died on a cross and three days later, he came back. Resurrection would even cause your brother to call you Lord. And that's what happened. James went from thinking his brother was crazy to believing that Jesus was Lord of all. This book of the Bible is 
unreal in how it relates to people who struggle with faith, but then who come to realize that this is real. It is true. And he says this. James looks at a group of people who are struggling. A church, a group of, uh, this is a church of people who are struggling with unity. And he says this, what causes fights and quarrels among you? They would have immediately thought about, you know, in our day and age, it's worship wars, which is just one of the worst things ever to God. People who are fighting over how you worship him. What a terrible thing. It's all over the world. There's quarrels, fights, and it's been going on since back when James was leading churches. He looks at this church and he says, what causes fights and, and, and quarrels among you? He says, don't they come? Here's, here's the answer to that. Don't they come from the desires that battle within you? He says, you know what it is? It's the wants. It's those things you want. Here's how to, I can prove this to you. Many of you won't do this, but next time you're in an argument with your significant other um, or somebody that you love dearly, do this and tell them I told you this. Look right at them in the middle of the argument and point, because it's really rude and you should never do it, but do it this time. Point at them, right at them, and say, do you know what the problem is in this argument? Do you know what the issue is here? I want what I want. You won't do that. (laughs) But what if you did? Because here's the thing. It's the problem with every conflict you have in your life is that you want what you want and they want what they want. And every conflict, is the the source of every conflict in your life comes from the battle of wants. James calls it out right here. (laughs) In James chapter 4 verse 2, he says, You desire, but you don't have, so you kill. Now he's using that as hyperbole. We don't actually kill very often. Um, if you if you do, please don't raise your hand again. Um, he says, you desire, but you don't have, so you kill. That word desire is this concept of ruthless pursuit. Run through a wall for these things you want. Those of you who work 80 hours a week and neglect your family know exactly what he's talking about. I'll keep going. Maybe it'll be what I want. He said that desire kills. And he was using hyperbole, but how many of you because of once in your life have killed a relationship? How many marriages have been killed because the want battle can't get worked out? How many things in your life right now, friendships, relationships, have been killed because of wants? James says this is not just a diversion. This is not just something on the side. This is something that will ruin your life. Life, the want battle in you doesn't just make you a better person if you figure it out. This is what causes brokenness amongst not just people outside of this church, but in this building right now, Jesus wants to save Christians from the want battle that goes on inside them. You know me, I'm here till October and that sounds like a long time, but it's going fast. And I believe God has called me to re-energize this place. To re-motivate this place, because you can't fire me, so I can say really hard things. <laughs> and I'm just going to keep saying it. But he has impressed on me lately that we can go out of here, we can do bigger VBSs, we can go feed the poor, we can go do a whole bunch of things, and it will only go so far, because if the world can't see something different in us than what they have, why show up here? If you go into the world with the same want battle that the rest of the world is dealing with. If you believe what you really have peace, hope, and joy in is your pickup truck and your 401k account, then why would they do 
Why would they come into this building? The only thing you have different than they have is an appointment on Sunday mornings for a blue pew in this building. And that ain't enough to show up. What God wants for this city is for people who follow Jesus to change what they want. In fact, to pursue what they really want. The source of all conflicts in your life is about this battle of wants. Most of us are so distracted by this battle. Most of us, even as we speak right now, we are so distracted by the, the want battle inside us that we can't even see what we really want. Some of you have gone, yeah, well, what do I really want then? What, what is it that I really want? And the truth is, so much in our face for the, for the worldly wants that we can't even see it anymore. James says, what we really want lurks in a realm we spend very little time in as human beings. I believe right here, right now, that God is poking at you. <laughs> you know, I've said last week, if God wanted to, he could have put one of those little pull strings on our back, you know, right here. And every time he wanted you to do something or say something, he could have pulled the string and said, I love you, God. And he, but he gave you a choice today. And he's poking at you. What, what do you really want? Jesus said it a little bit differently. He said, where your treasure is, your heart follows. My wife and I decided to take this seriously lately, and we decided to do something I might regret. We, uh, we took all of our finances and we plugged them into this software called Mint. M-I-N-T. It's free. It's by Intuit. Um, and I'll caution you. It shows you where you spend your money. <laughs> very simply and very categorically. I wanted to know. Where's my treasure? I mean, if you were just to ask me, hey, John, where's your treasure? What do you value most? What is most important to you? You know what I'd say? I'd say, my kids, my wife. My wife is so good and she's so pretty. My wife is so important to me. My kids are so important to me. My church. This whole new thing at Northside, this is, man, this is huge. Getting to do this is huge. But you know what happens when you go into Mint and you look at where I spend my money? You know what's most important to me? Cheeseburgers. I spend more money on Applebee's, right? I mean, yeah. I spend more money at Applebee's than I spend on my kids. Man, I'm telling you, Jesus would say, hey, John, you want to know where your heart is? Where's your money? Oh, well, it's not all about money, right? Right, right, yeah, right, right. Your treasure isn't just about your money. Your treasure is also your time. So, John, where do you spend your time? Oh. Well, I work 50 hours a week, which I have to do, right? And then I come home and I get on my lawnmower and I mow that green stuff that is going to be up next week just like it was this week. And I do that until we go to bed and then I kiss my kids on the cheek. I pray with them and we do it all again the next day. My time is in work. My heart follows my treasure. If you ask John at the end of his life right now, if you, not if you asked me, but if you looked at my life, if you looked at my bank account, if you looked at my calendar, you would have to assume that the most important thing in John's life are cheeseburgers and lawnmowers. Is that the way you want to be remembered? This is how practical it is. James says, James chapter 4, you do not have what you really want because you haven't asked God. Now, some of you pause right there. Hang on, John. 
either, either you do one or two things. I haven't asked God because I know his answer. <laughs> what I really want is this, and I know what God will say. Or, yeah, I have. I have asked God, and he hasn't come through. I just want to hit it, to be honest this morning, that this is the way we feel when we read this at times. <laughs> like, if, if you're a really good God, why can't I have what I want? What if Reese asked me that today? <laughs> he says, you do not have because you do not ask God. He says, when you ask, you don't receive. You don't get it. You don't understand it. That word receive is not just get. It's understand it. You don't understand what you want because you ask with the wrong motives. Actually, literally there, it's kind of bad English, but he says, you ask badly. The way you ask is bad. What you say is, God, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want, instead of, God, what do I want? What is it I really want? My wife and I recently have decided on a couple of these things. I try to go through these the week before I preach it, so at least I can say I've been through some of this, you know. We want peace in our house. We want our kids to feel peace that passes all understanding. We don't want a life without bad circumstances. We want, in the midst of circumstances, we want peace that doesn't make sense in the midst of those circumstances. We want our kids to feel that in our lives. What we, we want is joy. We want unbridled, like got three weeks off, no worries in the world. We want that, that joy in our house all the time. But I'm spending all my time, my energy trying to get a new car. Paul say, or, uh, James says, what happens is you, God knows. He knows that you want, you want, you want, you want, and if you get, you'll spend it on more, and it'll come more, and you'll end up like the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and said, I've tried everything. And Jesus says, no, you haven't. <laughs> You've tried everything in this want battle that's on your face, but it's actually easier than that. See, we only... What we really want starts with what we really value. What we really want in our life, what you really want as you sit here today, starts with what you really value. And what we need to do is beg God for our values to match His. You know what would happen today if you said this to God? God immediately just, God doesn't do this right as you sit because it's your choice. But what if you said, God, switch out. All of the things that I value, the cheeseburgers and the lawnmowers and the trucks, the vacations. God, right here as I sit here, switch out those wants for the things that you want and that you know I want. What would that look like? I'm not going to answer that today. I want you to come back. Remember the cliffhangers from the 60s and 70s shows? This is a cliffhanger. God knows. God knows what you really want. And here, I don't want to give you too much to do this week. So here's what I want you to do with this sermon. I want you to go home and I want you to ask your wife on the way home and a husband on the way home. I want you to talk to somebody you know and say, what do we want? What is it that we're shooting for right now? Maybe you need to look at your bank account. I caution you. Finding out that cheeseburgers are your biggest want is not good for your ego. That's good for your life. Have the conversation, what do we want? And then start to say, what do we really want? And when it all boils down, what is it we really want? I want to come back next week and I want to talk to you about what God wants. And I want you to know that we only get what we really want 
when we choose the things that are of most value to the creator of the universe. The man who created all of this has things that he wants that are good for you. They're the things that are at the heart of what you want. And if you can match those things up, it will change what you've been looking for in your life. As the band comes up today, I want to explain this picture up here. You've seen this before. If you've lived around a pond or a creek, you know what this is. This is an impact ring. I like calling it that. It sounds scientific, but you, can, you know where I'm going to go with this. When you throw a rock into a pond, it hits the center, and from that small pebble radiate rings of impact. Ripples, we call them. My dad, I think of my dad when I see this. My dad's retired, taught at Edgewood for 30, ridiculous, 39 years, something like that. And now his whole life is about making ripples. You know, he doesn't care. He's got a truck that doesn't even have a side rail on it. The door, you have to close it with like vice grips. You never hear him say, I want a truck, ever. They're building a new house out by our place, not because they want it, because I bought his old place and they need a place to live. We gave him some property and they're building a small house and it's almost like he doesn't even care that much about the house. I mean, they're excited about it, but he goes out every day and here's what my dad does. He goes out every day and in the morning he takes a bottle of water, a thing of coffee and breakfast to whatever HVAC, plumber, electrician is at the house, working on his house. And he gives it to him and then he goes to lunch and he brings him a ham sandwich and a cooler full of stuff out there and he just starts a conversation. This week I was... It was July 3rd, and I had the day off, and I was cleaning the gutters. And Dad comes flying up the driveway in his broken-down red truck. You can hear it coming for miles. And he jumps out, and he says, John, you've got to come with me. I'm too busy cleaning the gutters, you know. Dad, what? You've got to come with me. You won't believe what just happened. And I see what my dad really wants. And it stops me in my tracks. <laughs> and he said, I was talking to these two HVAC contractors. I took them a ham sandwich each and a bottle of water, and all of a sudden we started talking about God. Next thing I know, one of them said, you know, I'm addicted to drugs. I don't know where my life's headed. And my dad said, I have an idea. Do you know that the creator of the universe loves you right where you sit? Right here, right now? The kid said, no. Dad said, yeah. In fact, that's why I brought you a ham sandwich. Because I wanted to tell you. So dad said, I got him down here. We're going to go pick him up in the pickup truck and we're going down to the pond and we're going to baptize him right now. We got in and we got in the car in the truck with these guys and I said, they didn't know who I was. They didn't know I was his dad's son. They said, who is that guy? Now, I've never, I hope he's like that in real life. I hope this isn't just something I've seen. I've never met a person who just brings ham sandwiches to, to strangers and then introduces them to the life-changing things. And I said, that's who he is. See, this is the impact. This is the ripples. You know what you want? You want to do something. <laughs> you want your grandkids to chase after what they really want, not after the things you chased after. You want your children to seek things in their heart that God put there, not things that will be full of error and disappointment.
you want impact. And it comes when you want the things God wants. So over this week, here's what I want you to do. We're going to sing this song called God of the City. Love this tune. One of my favorite songs because it reminds us that God's in charge, not just of what goes on in this building, but right there. God is sitting in that neighborhood with the brokenness there, and he wants you to what what he wants for the world. Would you sing this song this morning or listen to this band? they got beautiful voices. If you don't sing, if you sing like I do, you can just be quiet this morning and say this to God. Just say this to God. God, would you get what I want out of the way so that I can see what I really want? I'm going to be down here on these stairs. We had some people come up last service. If you want to, this is a great place to do it. You can do it right where you're sitting, just between you and God. But there's something that happens when you step out that you step forward and you come and you lay on these stairs, I'll put my hand on you and we'll just pray, God, get rid of the want battle in me and help me see what I really want. It's between you and God. Would you sing this song? Stand with us together and sing today. You're the God of this city. You're the King of these people. You're the Lord of this nation, you are. You're the light in this darkness, you're the hope to the hopeless, you're the peace to the restless, you are. Great. 
Thank you all for being here this morning. Bow with me and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. And we thank you very specifically for this time just to be in your house, to worship you and to honor you. And Lord, I think of all the prayers that have just been lifted up right here in just the last couple of minutes. And Lord, I know that you are the God who loves us. You're the God who hears those prayers. You're the one that answers those prayers because you are the one that's in charge. So thank you. Thank you that you provide for us the opportunity and the privilege to just come and lay our burdens at your feet. It's what you told us to do because you said you care so much for us. Father, as we go forth from this building right here today, we thank you for the message that you've sent this morning, and I pray that you'd help us to absorb that, that as we walk forward, we may indeed seek to walk closer to you, not focusing so much on what I want, but on what I really want, and that is simply your will. So, Father, help us to grab that and to grow in that, that we might grow in Christ and be the vessel that you can use outside these walls in this community. May you be glorified. Dismiss us now with your blessing, I pray, in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.